All right, destined uh, for discipleship. I love, if you would show our graphic one more time um, for that one. Um, I love the, the arrows in the sea because discipleship is a twofold process that happens where God and godly people disciple you. It's one of the confessions that we make as a church. But the ultimate thing is that based on what's happening to you, that you actually are going out and able to disciple others. The intention on this kind of um, learning is that the, the things that you have in your life are so established and so strong that other people, if they don't ever come to this church, will be able to follow your life. And then they would know how to get to a place of stability in their walk with God. So that's always God's intention is that he disciples people who discipled others. That's, that was the original plan, right? That's not new news. Jesus started with 12 and those became more and more and more and more. And some thousands of years later, we're still, we're still going on in the word of God. And so um, today we're going to just really just um, lay some foundation here for that. So for this series, um, five, five objectives. Uh, number one is to elaborate on the destiny step of discipleship as the next phase of your salvation experience. That uh, you can hang around the door of deliverance and not move on to the next, next destiny step of discipleship, but that's not God's intention. Now, some people will only get out of here at the deliverance phase. Remember Jesus with the thief on the cross? Lord, today, uh, when, you, when you enter your kingdom, remember me. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, he didn't have time to go home and start coming, start learning kingdom lessons that the disciples did, did he? He did not have time. When Jesus rose from the dead, even though he had been with his disciples for three and a half years, the scripture says he expounded on the kingdom of God more perfectly for 40 days after he was raised from the dead. So there is in the discipleship time a process where um, you actually go through and not just get something to happen to you in a moment, but you begin to change your mind in line with what happened to you in that special moment. And so I want you to be just kind of assessing as we do this series, where are you on that journey? Have, have, you, just, have you just been you know, forgiven and, and he delivered you, you know, from sin, but the habits are still controlling you, then there's some discipleship pieces that you still need to work on. Does that make sense? All right. So I just want you to be clear that the deliverance phase is, is one phase and it's an important phase. And sometimes God will just get you out of stuff. But if you don't develop the, the discipleship aspect, you might go back into it. All right. Number two is to illuminate the promise, the power, and providential assistance available in the destiny step of discipleship. That there is a promise, promises specifically made to disciples that's not made to people that are just believers. Okay? And so you do want to grade yourself. Um, that's one of the reasons why if you, if you understand pastor's confession, I'm a believer. All right, that's one step. I'm an epistle. That's another step. I'm a disciple. 
That's a whole other step of living. I'm leading you through a confession that I'm believing God will be instituted in your life because each one builds on the last one. If you're not a disciple, you'll never get to the destiny that God has for you. I'm just saying. So that's the last one. You'll never find it. And if you saw it, you can't have it. <laughs> if you saw it, if you saw your destiny, you still can't have it because there are certain things he gives to people who are disciples that other folks don't get. You, so each one builds. Does that make sense? And so that's why this, this one is so important. Number three, to cultivate a desire, demand a diligence and a discipline for the destiny step of discipleship. You're going to have to want this thing and place a demand on it. But the demand that you place on this one is not as much as, as um, due to you're just confessing you're a disciple. You're going to have to put your money where your mouth is. To place a demand on the discipleship is some action steps of consistency over time, right? Um, because a person who is a disciple, by definition, is disciplined in a certain behavior. Okay? And so uh, sometimes there's things that happen and, and we're stuck like the thief at the cross phase and not moving on to the place where we are learning the kingdom, learning the truth of it, and beginning to really align our lives, not just with the person of Jesus, but to live out the principles of Jesus. Number four, to accelerate you toward the discipleship God intends in each area of your life. Now, if I was to really be honest, even in my own life, it's not like, my life is all, um, I'm, I'm, I'm universally discipled in every area. If I was to, to just make an own personal assessment, and I think you should, by the way, just kind of check yourself, you know, grade yourself, do, do some self-examinations. What I would have to say is there's some areas that I'm highly disciplined in terms of my alignment with the word of God. In other places, not as much. And so it's okay to assess yourself where you are and then begin to make the necessary steps to move forward in these other areas of your life. And then finally, finally, number five, to insulate you from losing ground in your discipleship. And the way you lose ground in this phase is different. You know, deliverance has a, you know, um, if you stay, if you stay on discipleship ground, you'll never lose deliverance. If you actually continue, what did Jesus said? He turned to those that that believed on him and said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. Indeed, I'm going to deal with that scripture in detail. So I'll give you the reference later. You shall know the truth that you continue in and the truth that you continually act upon will make you free. Okay, so it's really important as you begin to think about this, um, because you can get in and out of deliverance. You can what the scripture says, it scripture calls it this way. Um, a dog returns to his vomit. And a pig that was washed turns back to wallowing in mire. That's a person who goes in and out of, God, get me out 
And then the thing that I got out of, it becomes attractive to me. Again, and I want to I want to ingest the thing that I just threw up. I hope that word picture is nasty enough for you. Hopefully it is. The Bible intended it to be. Okay, because when God gets you out of situations and those situations that you got out of attract you, that's how God looks at you. That's how it looks to him. All right. Man, that's nasty. Okay, then don't do it. <laughs> that's the whole point of it. It is nasty. All right. But somehow the enemy can get us and trick us at times to where what is really nasty looks attractive. All right. And so that's what we want to talk about. Uh, I gave you a prophetic impression at the first of the year. That'll be an anchoring thought for this series. If you would show, show that prophetic impression, this is already on your sheet. I just want to remind you of it because discipleship is to really be a disciple means you have to grow personally in your leadership capacity. Okay. To be a disciple means you have to be a steward of your life, somebody that's responsible to the asset of your life and move it in a certain direction and that you must be actively a leader. And so the, the phrase here says, God is challenging you to develop the mindset. How do you think the motivations, why you do what you do, the maturity, the whole um, the whole spirit and attitude of your life in mind. That's a maturity. A person is childish or childlike or an adult. All right, maturity. The mannerisms, how you behave has a certain, has a certain smoothness to it that God wants you to have as you think about your life. Um, the way you move, the movements. Okay, people who are truly good leaders, they move a certain way and certain things don't move them. It's not that they don't care. It's just that they have to express how they care in a way that moves the thing that they're leading forward. Right. The movements, the measurements. I told you that you need to grade yourself. How are you progressing in your spiritual life? The whole point, the whole point of communion is that you grade yourself. The doctors tell you you should do self-exams. Spiritually, you should do them too. Measurements, how do you measure? Management, what systematic ways and tools? And we're going to talk about how do you systematically apply truth to your life? It's rare that you catch me without something to document a thought. It's rare that you catch me without some way to make a pl plan my work and to work my plan and to make an assessment of the plan that I'm working. Yeah. It's very rare that you catch me without something. And when you catch me without something, I'm feeling some kind of way. Like what in the world am I doing here? without something that I can use to manage my life. 
God is looking for you to track milestones. What is milestones? Remember in Hebrews 5, at the time that you ought to be teachers. That means at this time, you should have reached a certain milestone in your spiritual maturity. He says you need, you are just a baby needing milk, but by this time, you should be on meat. You're supposed to assess where you are in your spiritual life and know how far you've moved relative to how far you should have moved based on who you are and how long you've been in the faith. Then there is this thing called momentum. Momentum has to do with how you measure your ability to move forward with some energy. Some people's um, spiritual life is like it starts and stops and they never get any traction. They can't quite get going and quite get off the ground. Whereas a team who is down, but can somehow, sometimes a team, even though the score is still there behind, they can get momentum behind them and the energy is on their side and the, the, the team, you know, the whole, you know, see two sisters from the big house, the big house, the whole big house is behind them. If y'all Spartans don't be hating, um, the big house be behind them and then they can turn it around, even though on the scoreboard, they're still not yet in the winning column. But momentum is something that's strong enough that even when you're behind, you can get a certain rhythm about you and a certain motion forward that that motion forward can overtake what's coming against you because you just run it over. So God is saying that he wants you to get all of that and the trademarks. You know what a trademark is? Trademark is a stamp. Like that, that's, that logo there is a trademark for Destiny Generation. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's an image that, that has certain markings on it. When I, when I see that, I know it's something associated with this ministry. Something unique. It's a picture that represents. It's a picture that speaks a thousand words. Okay, when we should look at you, you should have the trademarks. That, no, that's a leader. That's a person who is a good steward of their life. They're managing well what God has given them. Does that make sense? And so when I want you to think about where you are in terms of your own discipleship, I want you to be thinking, hey, how am I measuring up on these things here? Because that's that's one of the real um, that prophetic thought is a big driver for this series. Okay. And so you should like, like you should grade yourself, you know, um, if you had to measure yourself one to 10 on these things, how would you do it? I don't know how to put a number on it. Well, somebody going to measure you. You go to a job, people measure you all the time. You know, the insurance industry finds ways to measure how long they expect you to live. Do you smoke? How many smokers was in your family? Is there anybody that has a history of heart disease, cancer, glaucoma, diabetes? And then they measure all those things and then they set a number on it and give you a premium. People find ways to measure you. I don't know if God is in the numbers. He wrote a book called Numbers. 
Only reason we know he fed 5,000 with a two-piece fish dinner and created the first extra family value meal is because somebody wrote it down. Somebody was measuring it. All right? And so the, these are the things we're, we're just laying out the thoughts here that we want to want to have you share on this series. So some review points and then a few scriptures and we'll go from there. Um, last week we had a masterful practical teaching from Minister Antoine Brown. Um, great, great word there. I love how he brought amazing teachings on how Moses delivered the children of Israel out from Egypt. He brought out how Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all experienced the promised land in difficult times, went into Egypt and got complacent there. God knew that they were going to get in trouble, had a plan for their deliverance. But the deliverance is the beginning process of salvation. Intrinsic in deliverance is, the is this process of transformation, the process of transformation. Discipleship is the transformation process. And I'm going to have to have some time uh, and I have to take time to be transformed. You know what? You are as ready for heaven as the thief was if you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You can't get more ready to see Jesus in peace. But what you can do is to get more of your character conformed to his. And that process of that confirmation, that transformation of your character is the measuring stitch by which you get rewarded. How much of the active commitment that you have to allow Christ's character to imprint on your life and then from that imprint to work through your life to affect others determines how much reward you get when you get to heaven. So heaven going to be more heavenly for some people than others. It's the reason why I work as hard as I do. I just want to hear him say, well done, that I had done the thing that he wanted me to do, that my life was transformed and that I used whatever influence I have to let his imprint, imprint come on me and through the imprint on my life affect others. All right. So discipleship picks up where deliverance ends. Discipleship picks up with the what you did when you got saved and what you have access to because you did of what you did when you got saved. Discipleship is where the transformation takes place, where old things pass away and behold, all things are become new. Now, spiritually, you're already entitled to all the newness. But practically, you don't have to experience it if you don't walk these discipleship things out. And while deliverance can be instantaneous, discipleship is always progressive, always. You, you don't, I'm, I mean, you know, it's nice to make the confession that I'm a disciple. Child, please. It takes way more than one confession to turn your life into a disciple. It really does, all right? Confession is not a bad one. I'm just saying to live out that confession, right? We, we learned last week about pronouncements that are made with some definitive authority where it becomes a non-surrendering commitment to a certain path. When you do that, that, that's when the discipleship really takes over. Discipleship requires time, discipline, and support of the word. 
Discipline is enforced obedience to the known will of God long after the thrill of initiation is gone and long before the fruit of that obedience manifests. I'll have that definition for you in a future lesson. You don't have to get it all now. But the key point is discipline is an enforced obedience. Sometimes we start a journey, right, at the beginning of the year when you get your resolution. They always want you to sign up a gym membership in January because they know you'll keep paying the rest of the year even if the thrill of initiation is gone and you don't even show up in the gym no more. Long after the thrill of initiation and long before the fruit of that obedience manifests. In that meantime, in between time, is where you determine whether or not you're really the disciple that God intends you to be. This is the middle ground where you're not in Egypt, but you're not yet in your promised land. It's kind of that wilderness period. In this time, you're not in Egypt, but God is working to make sure that Egypt is not in you. And that's where people get in trouble. Because even though they're out of Egypt, sometimes Egypt can still be in them. When I get in trouble, this is the thing I turn to. And it could be something and someone other than God. Okay? And so that's the keys there. All right. Leviticus 26, 13 is really our core scripture for today. Let's look at that. Look at Leviticus 26, 13. Hallelujah. Leviticus 26, 13, praise the Lord, says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. There are some things that he broke off of you, and then he enforced certain disciplines to make you walk differently than the way you were walking before. All right, there's pieces of this that he couldn't do, but then there's another piece of it that has your participation in it. Breaking, taking you out of Egypt was not something you could do on your own. He did that. Breaking bands, he did that. But making you walk upright says that there's a part of this that you participate in. All right. And so discipline has that piece of it, that there's things that you are participating in the process. Heaven's not going to do all of the discipline stuff for you. All right. So in this passage of scripture, God acknowledges deliverance from Egypt was not the full load. There's a need for discipleship. And some of the things associated with discipleship may not be as desirable as the freedom from the things that you like to get away from. Not everything that you go through in the discipleship phase is stuff you want to do. All right. Look at Isaiah 10, 27. He said he had broken the bands of the yoke from them. There is a term that describes God's burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. That term is called the anointing. Let's look at it, Isaiah 10, 27. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. And the King James says anointing, 
In this one, it says anointing oil. The oil, of course, was, a sim was symbolic of the anointing power of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament times, okay? So from this scripture, we get the definition of the anointing as the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God, right? Anybody heard that term, the anointing being God's ability to remove burdens and destroy yokes in our lives? But hold it. The anointing doesn't come to simply deliver us from. It also comes to deliver us or it, it also comes to disciple us too. It doesn't just come to deliver us from the negative. It comes to disciple us to the positive. Now let's look at this. Let's look at the words of the anointed one himself, Jesus, the Christ. That's what Christ means or Messiah. Those two terms both mean the anointed one. All of the anointing that we have comes from him. But how does Jesus anointing work? Let's look at it. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. And it says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is Jesus speaking. If you had a red letter Bible, these words are in red. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So even though his anointing destroys yokes and removes burdens, that doesn't mean you have no yoke or no burden. This scripture says that I replace the yoke and burden of the world and I yoke myself to Jesus and I accept the burden that he places on me. Now, either I can come willingly or I can buck. But he says if I come willingly, then his yoke is easy. And his burden, it is a burden. I'm going to have to carry something. Uh -huh. Nobody get out of here scot-free. But the burden that I have will be light. I will be, it will be manageable for me. It will not destroy me because I am yoked with him. That's like me and Jesus. Scripture says, don't be unequally yoked. If I am yoked with Jesus, he's carrying the load with me. And his strength is helping me to carry the load that he's asking me to carry. The yoke is easy because he's pulling with you. The burden is like as you're not carrying it by yourself. Got it? But what we don't want to think is, you know, freedom, freedom means no yoke and no burden. Because there are people who, who think like that, like, I'm just free from, and then they don't enter the discipleship process and realize that they're free from, delivered from, so that it can be discipled to. All right. I've given you this destiny definition. It's actually um, on the placard behind me. It is that destiny is the undeniable truth that God has an amazing plan for your life, hidden inside himself and placed in seed form inside of you. And that seed inside of you needs discipleship to emerge. People sometimes wonder why um, I just have certain people in my life that, that I'm accountable to. It's not, 
because I don't have my own mind. It's not that. It really isn't. It's just that I understand the principle of discipleship. And I also know that it's easier to be discipled by, um, it's easy to say I'm discipled by Jesus and ain't nobody can tell me what to do. You know, that, that sounds like a Jesus. I'm discipled by Jesus. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Pumped and breaks. It's, <laughs> you got to be really, really mature to only to be at a spiritual level where Jesus only disciples you. And even then, you still need a circle of accountability. And so I just have people I'm accountable to, not because they perfect, because I'm not perfect. I can't, I can't follow him. He's not perfect. Hold up. Hold up, Jesus Jr. Hold up. Hold up. Okay, no. I, I just understand that the process he set up was that disciples make disciples. I don't want them, I don't want them to be perfect. I just want to know, are they really a disciple? Because he set up a system that says that a person who is discipled can make a disciple. That was something he did. All right. Now let's look at four phases, four phases in the destiny process. That first phase is deli is deliverance. We talked about that um, remission from sin, not permission to sin. Because <laughs> some people want to be, some people want to to be um, delivered so that they can have permission to sin without the consequences. But the wages of sin still is death. You play around with sin, death will eventually kick in. Now, don't all happen instantaneous. We learned this week that the long suffering of God is designed to get us to repent. But he's trying to get you out of your dumb days. All right. So the deliverance is the first phase. Then discipleship. Discipleship is not just remission. It is regimented. It's rigors, rigors or regimens of the Savior. It is patterns of behaviors that are systematically implemented. In line with what? In line with what the Savior wants. It's you taking a yoke upon you and a burden that he placed on you. Not just something you make up. You find in the word what he wants you to do and you systematically do it when you feel like it and when you don't. If you got to feel like it, it's not yet a discipline. Sometimes I feel like a nut. Sometimes I don't. Dominion empowerment is the third phase. Now we get to the thing, once I get through disciplines and they become automated behavior, then God can give me assignments that he can't give an undisciplined person. They, a disciplined person, an undisciplined person will lose control. All right? Only when I can get past and have these established disciplines, have an empowerment to be fruitful, multiply, to replenish, subdue, and take dominion, can I actually fulfill the destiny that he has for me and then rule with righteous satisfaction? Okay? So we just, this is the next phase. This is the next phase of my spiritual development. Now, some, some of us are at a discipleship phase, and we're going to just learn how you can, you can measure yourself. But I want you to make assessments because then you're going to have to be the person who puts certain things in play for that to work in your life. Amen? The term disciple presupposes that there is an authority whose voice you will yield to even in undesirable matters. Look at Matthew 10, 24. 
A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Um, I like the way the King James says it. A disciple is not above his master because that's stronger than just a teacher. People teach me stuff that I don't do. And a servant above his Lord. Okay, those terms are stronger. Right now, why is that important? Um, Because I teach you stuff you can opt out of. As a teacher, I can say, hey, here's son, daughter, come into the kitchen. I'm going to show you how to wash dishes. Here's the right temperature. Here's why. Here's why you need to use this kind of towel. Here's a, here's a washing cloth. Here's here's the, the temperature of the water that you need for the to, to allow the grease and the germs and stuff to get off. This is how much soap you need. Here's the rinse cycle. Here's what you need to do. All right. Here's where you need to dry. Don't let the towel just sit there and mildew. Right. As a teacher. But sometimes, as a father, I say, boy, get in them kitchen, get in that kitchen and get them dishes done. You already know what you need to do. But but when but when when I'm when I'm the person who's discipling you, I get the, I, I get the right to tell you to go do something that you don't want to do because you should do it. In reality. We have taken the word disciple, which was a common word and thought in Jesus day and made it something that we hid in religion. In Jesus day, discipleship was common in Greek, Roman and Hebrew society. The likes of Aristotle, Plato, Socrates and even Gamaliel, who was who was Paul's teacher of the Pharisees, had disciples. These great teachers or rabbis in Jewish circles would accumulate those who would commit to their teachings and these committed students were called disciples. Their teachings would then become a basis of a school of thought, which is why Jesus would say, repent, change your way of thinking because the kingdom of heaven has arrived. So the first part of discipleship is to change your mind to go in a different direction and to really commit to not going in a different way of thought. A disciple has to follow a school of thought before it becomes a way of life. So we're going to talk some about that. Interestingly, the Greek word for for disciple is the word mathetes, same root as the word mathematics. So the precision and commitment to learning was a lot stronger than commitment we see in churches today. Because if you're going to commit to learn math, you're going to have to be committed. <laughs> hey, hey man, that was a good place to put it. I don't like math. It may no, and math may not like you. It may not like the level of commitment you've produced for it so far. Okay, I'm just saying that there's a commitment level that's required to really move in the area of discipleship. One last list. This is where we'll end the day, and we'll start there next week. Five discipleship principles that we see from scripture. Number one, every disciple is a believer, but not every believer is a disciple. Just because you've made the believer level doesn't mean you've made the disciple level. And it takes one to make one. That's why you want to follow people who are disciples. You want to know the trademarks of a disciple so you can know one when you see one, because whoever tells you need to be one. 
Okay, I don't want somebody telling me to, who are trying to disciple me who are not disciples themselves. They don't have to be perfect because when you get to be a discipler, you won't be perfect neither. But you should be committed. Discipleship requires preeminent commitment. I'm doing this above all else. Principle living. I live my life according to certain standards. Purposeful benevolence that I'm committed to walking in love with other disciples and productive, effective action to be effective. All right. And we're going to break down that and show the scriptures associated with it. Discipleship requires the disciple to pay it forward by discipling others. That's the growth mechanism that Jesus put into the church. He called his disciples and told them to go make disciples. So once you learn certain principles, you owe it to Jesus to help somebody else learn what you know. I didn't say you owed it to pastor or your church. I said you owe it to Jesus. And then finally, Jesus himself commits himself to stay with the discipling disciple. He said to, the, to his disciples, if they would go and make disciples, lo, he would be with you to the end of the age. Come on, let's stand.